Talking to so many inspirational founders, artists and makers has been a huge privilege and honour. And as I reflect back on my Holly & Co journey so far, I can now see that this podcast has acted like an anchor as I've navigated new territories. I've been lucky enough to hear firsthand some incredible journeys, musings and perspectives on life, the world and all things business. I've been moved to tears uh, every episode, laugh like never before, and have been inspired to make change and be bolder with my own plans. It's given me a wonderful headspace to not only hear from wonderful founders about their roller coaster journeys, but it's given me an incredible place, I suppose, to reflect on my own life and journey and my own highs and lows. And to mark my hundredth conversation of inspiration, it is my honour to share my journey with you. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street from the kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and asked them to share theirs. With thanks to NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Myself, Carrie and Gabby, my sister co-founders of Holly & Co, we debated at length about what the 100th episode should be. Uh, A reflection on my past guests or shoot for the stars for a dream guest. But Carrie and Gabby, however, were adamant that now was a time to share my own story. So that's exactly what I'll do. I'll be handing over to you the wind beneath my wings, this community to interview me, as well as welcoming some of my closest friends and family to share their memories along the way. So let's jump straight in. This is a bit strange. Someone to ask a question who actually has been by my side from the very start of Not in the High Street as one of the first partners. Over to you, Deborah, from The Thoughtful Potter. Hello, my name's Deborah, and I'm a potter. I run my pottery studio, The Thoughtful Potter, from my log cabin studio in Somerset. I love listening to the conversations of inspiration while I work in my pottery studio. And I have a question for Holly. It is, where does your passion for small business come from? Can you pinpoint an event in your life or time when it clicked that this is what you want to do? I'd love to know. You know, this is a hard one, Deborah, because I've been asked this quite a few times and There isn't a flash of lightning. You know what I mean? That sort of moment that I can say, this was it. I do think, though, it was when I started to become confident to express who I was. If I look back, that moment happened when I started Not on the High Street. And so I suppose, actually, I have to thank the start of Not on the High Street for being the catalyst for myself, for my own creative style, my confidence in that. But it was fueled 
by the creativity of the small business community. So I suppose that was where the love affair started, where I could be who I wanted to be thanks to the talent, thought, passion of small businesses. You know, if I think about my first home, which was exactly the same moment that I started not on High Street, we pulled our money together and we were able to afford our sort of first home with stairs. I remember we bought, we, we, who am I kidding here? I bought these magnets from a lady called Jo Heckett. And it was the first time not in the high street had anything really personalised. And it was a little ceramic magnet that was hand stamped. And you could get this sort of box and you could put any word that you wanted in there. And I remember not buying just, you know, names. I remember saying, you know, joy, hope. And I had them on our fridge. And this was a really small thing. But for me, this was the sort of start of not just a magnet on my fridge. This was Joe Heckett's beautiful words. And I remember people commenting on them. I remember people commenting on sometimes when I wasn't just putting a pair of trousers from the supermarket in because I had no time to really do any shopping, buying Harry, you know, this beautiful hand-knitted cardigan And again, people would ask me where I got it from. And I knew that it was small businesses that fueled it. And yeah, I suppose that was it. That was the success for me, meeting small businesses. It is absolutely been a love affair. And I suppose that was the moment. Right. So that's sort of where I think it all began in my mind. But I often, being in a hurry all the time, uh, don't actually think about the past. And I have often wondered why I'm obsessed with doing things differently and my total and utter obsession with creative living. So I thought I'd ask someone who knows me the best, mum. And I didn't want to guide mum at all. So we just recorded it as it came out, armed with a mug of tea and sat at my mum's kitchen table. Welcome mum to the podcast. (laughs) I know you're a big fan. I certainly am. Yes. I mean, (laughs) this is very scary. It's a very strange situation. (laughs) It is, isn't it? So I was wondering if I can ask you, where do you think this sort of creative living has come from? Why am I obsessed with it? Um, I think you're obsessed because it's just in your blood. Your grandmother, my mother, was very creative. She went to theatre school when she was probably, it's in her late teens, uh, learning to be a set designer and a costume designer. Her father died and the money wasn't there. So she went off and she became a fur model in Harrods, as you do. My goodness. Well, you're tall and elegant like us, Holly. (laughs) But as a child, I was surrounded by her creativity. Um, I didn't realise that she was different to other mothers, but I had beautiful smock dresses when I was little. She was a brilliant knitter, gardener, cook. She could make lampshades, eiderdowns. She designed rugs and made them. I mean, there wasn't a thing that she couldn't actually turn her hand to. So yes, I think that it came from there. That's all I can say, because it certainly doesn't come from me. You say it didn't come from you, but I remember so many times, you know, when we lived in Holland and when we moved back to the UK, we would do things differently. I remember you telling me about grandma with a Christmas tree that was very, very different. And she wore a caftan. 
I remember us being that creative. So I do think it did pass to you. You always say it hasn't, but I do think it has passed to you. But go on, tell me about this Christmas tree. Well, the Christmas tree, she didn't want a traditional Christmas tree. I don't know why. Probably she didn't want to actually hoover up all the needles. But she had a frame made out of chicken wire. And it was a full-size Christmas tree, like a six-foot Christmas tree. And every year it would be different. And she would do it with doilies and she would do it with tissue paper and baubles and tinsel. And every year there'll be a different colour theme and, and a different way that she'd make it. And I know that you found pictures of her in her caftan because you'd wear that at Christmas by the Christmas tree. And I, and I sort of think this totally inspired you because you, when school broke up and, and that wonderful moment happened and you were out of school and there was Carrie and me, and you would arrive back, and that would be the day that we were going to do the house for Christmas. And we did have a traditional Christmas tree, but nothing else was traditional. Everything else was cleared out of the living room, and we would have a theme, and it would be the sacking or brown paper, or goodness knows Since what. I remember foil. Foil, yes, foil, and it was like a department store window. And then, of course, your father would come back, who quite liked traditional, and we'd be so chuffed by this. <laughs> and he was so not impressed. And he'd just look around and he'd say, well, where's, where are the pictures? Where are the... And we go, oh, that, that's all gone somewhere else. It's all gone somewhere else. <laughs> so you did your own Christmas version of my mother's Christmas tree, I think. I mean, I remember being creative at school. Did you see that that was important to me? Yes. I mean, I think that was the moment when your creativity sort of blossomed in a more constructive way. That's what you wanted to do. You did it extremely well. You had brilliant ideas when you had to do something which was like a, a stationary set or something. That was the project. Yours was a pyramid, I remember. And we had tea in the bath and paper and it became parchment. And it was exquisite. I mean, it really was amazing. You sort of thought, gosh, somebody should produce this. Um, That's a product idea. Exactly, exactly. And also the hamburger clock. I mean, the hamburger clock in probably, this was 92, maybe 92, 93. I mean, wow. I mean, there's still, a, it's just, whenever I see a hamburger looking like your hamburger, I think, oh yes, someone's cribbed Holly's hamburger. <laughs> so that was what happened there, which was brilliant to see. And it was very impressive. But your drive also came in at that point as well. You got your GCSEs, which is all going to be great. But of course, you're going to have to go on into sixth form. It was quite tough at the time because interest rates were 15%. So we could only afford one set of school fees. And now your sister was coming along and it was her turn, basically, for secondary school. That was fine. We went and visited sixth form colleges where you cheerfully informed me that you would never work, couldn't possibly go there. Mum, I'll never work there. And I'm saying, oh, darling, I think this looks wonderful, don't you? And you're saying, no, Mum, no, no, really not. And then we went to a place that did a foundation course. And it was like, why would I want to do a foundation course? And he called you a lady in a hurry. And I thought, he's known you for half an hour and he has absolutely summed you up. That's what it was. So the school had been wonderful and always accommodated any ideas, and it just seemed awful to shut this all down in these places that weren't for you. And so you took yourself off to the head teacher, and you put this problem uh, very fairly. You said it was your sister's turn, but... And the head teacher said, fine, and she found a bursary for you, which was just brilliant. And you then continued to get scholarships. And that way we could actually afford for the two of you for those two years to go through, which was just great. And you think of it now, you just take yourself off to the head teacher and say, basically, this is the problem. I want to stay. I can't afford two lots of school fees. 
what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and, and they coughed up. One of the moments I sort of realised that I was creative was when I did an art A-level. I created this sculpture called Tom, Dick and Harry. I was like the only person allowed to do the one project almost like continuously for years and years. Yes, three torsos of men entwined. And it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. And the school was incredibly encouraging, which was just lovely. And this all went very, very well until he suddenly realised that it was so bloody big he couldn't actually get it out of the studio. So all the thought of casting it in bronze and goodness knows what, it wasn't going anywhere. It was incredibly sad because you actually had to break this up. And I've got a picture of you and you're just in a raincoat and you're just looking. And it is the saddest photograph because it meant so much to you. It meant so much to all of us. I think we did think you'd go down an arty straight and then goodness knows what, but we felt art was in, in your blood. I don't know actually what I thought you were going to do next because somebody said in the playground or wherever, oh, so Holly's taking a year out, is she? And I said, a year out of what? And she said, oh, well, you know, she's not going to university then. She's going to take a year out. And I'm like, oh, my God, university. I had no idea. I mean, is, how did you apply for it? What was it now? And it suddenly dawned on me that we hadn't heard anything about university. Now, I had not gone to university, but your father had, and he'd just gone from sixth form into university, and it was all... But it's like, well, what do you do about this? And it dawned on us that you had not actually brought home any of these sort of, obviously, invitations to parents to talk about university or whatever it was. There was no internet, there was no emails in those days. You just reflect as a parent and you think, what were you doing? What were you thinking? I mean, really? But it was good because there would have been endless arguments. You would have got your way and we would have probably felt quite bitterly about it or whatever. So you obviously weren't going to university and that was that. And you did your A-levels and then the results came that day where everybody gets nervous and they go with the envelopes. And you had double booked yourself, I think, quite purposefully. And you were going to have lunch with the chap that ran the advertising agency that you had done work experience for the past couple of years and had thoroughly enjoyed it. So Carrie and I were dispatched to go and get the A-level results, as you do. So I think we actually did open them and, and tell you them, I don't know. You had gone to ask this classic question, how do I get into advertising? Which, of course, is the way you get into advertising because they say, oh, well, if you want to come and make tea, you know, everybody likes you. You've done a jolly good job for the past two years when you've come here. And you came away with the best prize that night. You had a job and there was no looking back after that, I'm afraid. Your foot was firmly on the accelerator. You were in top gear and you were off. It sort of brings me on to my next point on this sort of foot on the accelerator, this Holly Hurricane name that I was given, I think, by my aunt. I'm now a mum of a 16-year-old. I'm very happy that Harry's not Harry Hurricane. Tell me about that energy. Where it came from, I don't know, just an incredible zest for life, wanting to be in control. I think wanting to be in control of your life. Yes, you'd, you'd always been quite strong and, and, and driven to a certain extent. But then when you'd started work on the first day, your father and I looked forward to you coming home, telling us all about it. You know, oh gosh, it'd be so much fun. Uh, you didn't come home. You didn't come home because you had gone off to a certain 
Madame Jojo's in Soho, which was a club that I had no knowledge about at all. And no doubt you kept somewhere. I mean, again, parents, really? She kept somewhere? But, you know, you, you did come home, I think, probably the next day, but probably didn't want to talk about much else. And declared you had to have a flat in London. You had to live in London because there was just absolutely no way you could do this and not have a flat in London. We pointed out that financially this was out. But it was a bit like, actually, after you became head girl in your last year at school, you declared that you needed my car because you'd have lots of meetings and everything after school. And, and you needed my car. So, you know, I, obviously I would understand. It's just like, no, Holly, I actually need the car to work. Yeah, that was being unreasonable. So, yes, you had this drive of what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go. So, God knows how. I found an email that you had sent that declared that it was your boss's birthday and that you all, obviously the department, were all going out to lunch. Um, you wouldn't be back. I had been a fashion journalist at roughly the same age that you were there. We used to have champagne breakfast at the Savoy. You know, we had a pretty good life being fashion journalists at that time. But this was a different level, just a different level. Yes, we just held our breath as, as you headed off into London. <laughs> I mean, I really do think about this and I quite publicly, I am sorry. I think about if Harry in any way was even 10% of this, I think I would be having a nervous breakdown. So I am, you know, on reflection, I'm glad my wisdom has almost taken Holly Hurricane by its reins and sort of my age has just brought this thing back. I have been quite honest with the community that it's been brilliant for business, but as a young woman being in a hurry, it got me into other areas that weren't so brilliant and that must have been hard for the family. Yes. On reflection, when you look back at your daughter's life, when you're in the middle of it, you just are in the middle of it. But, of course, everything had to come quite soon. So you and your school sweetheart decided to get engaged and you got engaged in style, limo, champagne. Young love is very heady. So there was a fairy tale wedding. There was the honeymoon in south of France. And then things went wrong. My father reflected that you hadn't had enough time under your belt to get that experience, that the years of being married, and then when things turn shit, you can pull yourselves through it. But you hadn't had any of that. And you became ill. You'd changed jobs. He'd also changed jobs. Now he didn't have much work because he was freelance. And it just crumbled. It was devastating. It is devastating to see your daughter like that. And... We just supported you as much as we could. And then the little shoot of creativity happened. It was the wreaths. And you did that. And then you needed, oh, a venue to sell them. And that is sort of when you put your foot back on the accelerator and you took control and your life just went off in a different direction. And here you are now. <laughs> <laughs> Mum and me are now all teary-eyed talking <laughs> because, you know... What a special moment that was just to, um, I think anyone listening, we often don't talk to our families in this way. You know, what do you remember about me? You know, we're all just talking about what we next weekend or not, you know, but it's always we look future forward, don't we? We always go forward and actually to spend a moment and just say, what was I like? And, and these things have been brilliant. I mean, this whole experience of 
being the hundredth guest has been brilliant for me because being able to have this moment with you talking about this, gosh, reflecting as a parent how sorry <laughs> I am that I put you through all of this, but also you've been by my side and dad from your local fair helping with the push chairs and pulling them into the first Chiswick <laughs> Town Hall to then all the town halls afterwards and people expecting dad to take those push chairs up every <laughs> single flight of stairs and then onto Not in the High Street and what a journey that has been and you going to all of those fairs and you are our lead hunter. You would go and find small businesses. And I know lots of people listening will say, yes, I remember Sally, Holly's mum, because of her finding me. I've had this amazing mm -hmm. time on Not on the High Street. And now onto Holly and Co, where we've watched Harry and Olive um, <laughs> now in the shop and they serve you coffee and you've moved around the corner from the shop and it just feels like it's just been an unbelievable ride. One where I slightly was on and off the accelerator at the beginning. It wasn't necessarily a comfortable ride, but hopefully it's been better over the years. But I actually know it's been <laughs> tremendously up and down, hasn't it? But you've always been there and, and grandma and grandpa and his writing. And, you know, and it's been amazing to share my life with you. Oh, that's so lovely to say, Holly. Um, and this, as she says, without tearing up, I, I do believe my mother is looking down. This is terrible. Um, but my father was very, very proud of you. He didn't understand you. But you don't have to understand someone to be proud of them. And I think he just thought it was extraordinary. He just thought it was extraordinary. And it has been, and it is. And... I think parents, if you get the opportunity to work for your children, that is the most amazing growing up experience somehow for yourself because you realise just what they have that you never knew. It's aspects of them that you never knew. And so that has been a great privilege to work for you. And I know dad, you know, I won't speak for him, but for me, it has just been really great to be part of it and to be part of those partners on NOS mm. that I remember giving that little leaflet, giving my little spiel. Great fun and enormously proud. And this has just been a great moment too. <laughs> okay. So a time in my life that really sticks with me is when the Not in the High Street journey began. But it started with my first proper business, Your Local Fair. I thought that I would head over to someone who had a stall at this fair in 2003. It was in Chiswick Town Hall. It was bloody freezing. Who subsequently became one of the largest partners alongside her business partner, Kirsty, at one point in the journey of Notton High Street, Petrula Walters Coles, who is now a dear friend of mine, but was one of the small businesses who spent £99 on her trestle table. I remember that day so well. You were there at the entrance with your clipboard and all your hand-drawn plans and you were directing everyone to their stalls, making sure everyone was in the right place and you were so organised even then. And I think looking around, it was clear that it was going to be more than just another town hall fair. But one thing I've never actually asked you is do you always have a vision for what you're building and where do you get your endless energy from? Wow, <laughs> this is such a lovely thing to do. Um... Well, I suppose, as my mum says, I do have a bit of an addiction to life. 
And I suppose I see a queue of opportunities all trying to get my attention. I look at those opportunities as stepping stones when it comes to business. My most interesting, brilliant conversations are where people say, I want to rip up the rule book, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what you're going to say, but I love it. I love the ungoogleable. You know, that's what I say to people. We need to do the ungoogleable. Because if it's Googleable, I can just go online and get it. But we need to do something different. I suppose I want to break moulds. And I find myself visualising all the time, dreaming of the future. And what I love about it is you can be as crazy, grand, bonkers. No one hears them. It would appear maybe egotistical to people who would hear your ideas. But... That's what I love about visualisation. It's like this sort of silent drawing board. No one there to slam you down. No one there to feel threatened by you or to tell you you can't do it because of their own issues. So that's sort of my visualisation. And I suppose that's actually where I think my energy source comes from. Many, many times I feel like I'm bursting at the seams because the ideas and the vision, they're not clear. You know, I know that I have them, their energy, I suppose, or the spirit of that visualisation is there, but I can't actually see it yet. So actually, one of the things that I have found is it can make me very, very low. Actually, some of the times that I've got most vision, but haven't been able to get it, you know, on paper, so to speak, is when I feel useless. I have a few trusted people now when they say to me, Holly, talk, say, get it out. People think I talk a lot, but actually, when it comes to times of stress, I'm silent. I keep it all in. So actually, it's when people start extracting the glitter and then I can build my future and vision. And then that again is where I get energy. What bizarre, bizarre answer to what P might have thought. I would have just said, you know, I just get energy from the community, which I do, by the way. But actually, it's more than that. It's energy, kinetic energy from visualisation. There you go. That's a bonkers answer, number one. Sure, there's going to be many, many more. Now, more than ever, people are taking control of their lives and forging their own path, following their passions to build a life they truly love. Founders have a unique spirit that sets them apart, a blend of drive, passion, ambition and self-belief. People who have Metal. Metal is the free digital business account by NatWest. It's built for small businesses, side hustlers, startups and freelancers to start, run and grow. It gives you the tools to stay on top of your books, create and send invoices and manage your day-to-day transactions all from your phone. Whatever stage of your journey you're at, you can apply for a free account in minutes. Find out more and get the free app at metal.co.uk slash holly. Metal is for sole traders and limited companies with up to two owners. Eligibility criteria apply. Every week we give away an ad break to small businesses. We're passionate about amplifying the voices of those who run their own enterprises across the UK. So without further ado, here's this week's independent ad break winner. 
If I tell you the average life expectancy of a woman is 726,000 hours, you'll either find this fact depressing or totally motivating. So I'm honoured that you're spending one minute with me on this ad break for the 100th episode of Conversations of Inspiration. Hello, I'm Samantha Smith, the founder of Hello Time and the creator of the Hello Time Planner. It's become my mission to create a range of time-gifting stationery to help you value, manage and celebrate time. In 2016, it became apparent I needed to address how I was spending and managing my time. I went in search of a planner, but most had very prescriptive layouts. Functional planners tell me how to plan my time rather than why I should be doing it. So after tons of research in 2018, I designed my own. It was such a game changer for me. I figured it could help others too. So for us time poor startups and small business owners, you might just have stumbled on what you've been looking for. So here's a shout out to the planners, the list makers, the goal setters, the notebook hoarders, the stationery lovers and the go-getters. You can find us at Hello time planner or at hellotime.co.uk and for all founders whatever stage of your journey head to metal.co.uk slash holly to learn more and download the free app now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration Okay, right. Let's get back to a question. So when I put this out to the community, I was inundated with questions. And firstly, thank you, because you've made me think about things in a different way. And funny enough, there was quite a few about not in the high street. And so, uh, well, let's just jump straight in. So let me hand over to Holly Cottage Studio. Hi, Holly. It's Tracy from Holly Cottage Studio. And I'd like to know what it was like the very first day you launched notonthehighstreet.com. You know, like big events, you don't really remember the actual, you know, this came first and this came after that. You sort of remember the feeling. And I remember the feeling of being frigging tired. You know, we hadn't slept for 48 hours. Actually, that launch I could never repeat. And there's many things I could do. You know, childbirth would be one above launching Not on the High Street. I think Sophie and I worked out at the time that we'd worked 80% of all weekends leading up to that for one year. And remember, I had a child who was under one at the time, three months old when we started. But it was all just actually a slight nightmare. I was 28. I hadn't really had any experience of being a founder. Well, I had it in your local fair, but not this. This was big stuff. And we had never heard of the word beta. And it's basically when companies launch their sites or things and they say it's in beta format. So it's before we've launched. You tell us what you think. It's not perfect. But we decided because we had come from advertising and magazines where things were sparkly, beautiful when they were released, that that was what was going to happen with our site because we knew that press was going to be really important. So we told the world and their uncles and aunts and grandparents that we were going to launch launch on this certain day of this certain week at this certain time. And we actually did a microsite with a countdown. And I can always remember, you know, you'd wake up and look at the microsite, slightly excited if the day 52 had gone to 51. And we were asking people to sign up to be the first to know. And it was just crazy. And so the week of launch with this little clock ticking away, day four, the agency told us that they hadn't managed to build the checkout. And so a few days before launch, 
many people asking us about it. We're trying to make sure that all the products are uploaded, the descriptions are uploaded, the ability to check out was working. No, it wasn't, Holly. And that is a slightly bloody huge issue when you're launching a retail site. So we had to think really, really quickly. We called it a press preview. Uh, You think about my sister, Carrie, if anyone who knows Carrie, she's quite quiet. And we had given out her personal mobile number. Well, of course, personal. We didn't have company phones. And she was the tech department. So any partner could call her mobile and ask her really quite detailed questions about how to supply information so that we could upload onto the site. And, you know, you forget the first day is really just a day of a gazillion to come. That is the thing about launching a business. It's a living, breathing entity. And I don't think we had really understood that at the time. What we did know was launching a retail site with no checkout was a pretty disastrous thing to happen. Anyway, it all worked out in the end. We managed to find a wonderful gentleman called Joe. He built the site in two weeks. We managed to launch it. As they say, the rest is history. Gosh, It is actually strange to take myself back to those days. You know, the energy, the thrill, the highs, the lows. It's like nothing else. Hi, Holly. Congratulations on your 100th episode of your wonderful podcast. I'm Liz from Book Art Studios in New Zealand, and this is my question for you. What tipped the scales from struggle to recognition? In other words, was there a pivotal moment when you knew your business was going to excel? I don't think I know any founder that knows a moment because you just sort of keep looking forward, don't you? We did have milestones at Not in the High Street. That was a really important thing. But it was sort of, you know, like an endless river, if you see what I mean. The business just kept on flowing. It just never, ever stopped. So you don't really have that moment to say this is that time because you've drifted you know by the time you've looked at the shore and then you look back and you look forward and then you look at the shore again you've drifted miles and I think that's the same in business there's no pom-pom moments there's not this sort of moment I suppose when investors used to get in touch with us rather than us knocking on the door cold calling when there was this moment that you know some big investors came to our little office and I remember kicking Sophie under the table and then realizing it was a glass table that that was a moment talk about not showing to yourself too keen Holly keep it cool keep it cool I didn't keep it cool I actually now talking to you all a pom-pom moment I think that the moment you know you've slightly built something that is going to make it is when it becomes word of mouth and when you hear people talking about your brand or have heard about it. I remember going to Africa many years later, being in a beach in the middle of nowhere. There were turtles. That was the only thing on this beach. And this lady walked up to me. Anyway, we were just talking. And of course, the convers- you know, what do you do? And I said, oh, I work on an online website, you know, and we just chatted. And then I mentioned the name, not on the high street. And there was this gasp. And I always think, oh, my gosh, I'm on the other side of the world and someone knows about this business. Or 
I remember with Harry, you know, taking around a supermarket and he was in, you know, the front of the trolley. And so I bumped into someone that I hadn't seen in a long time. And they asked me what I was doing. Did I still work in advertising? And I said, not in the high street. And they said, oh, my gosh, I just shopped on there last week or in a pub or when my mum would talk to her friends and her friends would say, you know, my daughter's shopping on not in the high street. Can you believe it, Sally? I think that that's a brilliant barometer. So it's not really the moments that I experienced, but it was more that my environment changed by people knowing what I did. Holly, it's Lindsay here from Wood Paper Scissors. Congratulations on your 100th episode of Conversations of Inspiration. Holly, I've often wondered, back when you were starting Not on the High Street, did you ever imagine that the business would grow to be as big as it has become today? Two answers to that question. Yes and no. (laughs) Yes, I could visualise it. Yes, could I see that there was this absolute need for Not on the High Street to help small businesses? And did I see how much good we could do as the years went on? Yes, absolutely. I also knew from a personal point of view that we couldn't have this as a sort of trickling income. It needed to be a proper income to support our family, to support our home, to support our children. I remember sitting in a cold room, actually, in a building called Aaron House. The building was actually being demolished. It was going to become a set of fancy flats. And well, we didn't have anywhere to go. So I did a deal where we got half the rent if we stayed there as they were demolishing the other side of it. But they'd taken the boiler. So it meant that we had a period of our time where we were in freezing cold offices. And I was sitting next to a radiator calling out URLs all the URLs across the whole globe, because I absolutely could see that Not in the High Street was going to be relevant in America, France, Australia. And it didn't scare me because visualisation, it doesn't scare you because you're not actually doing it. But, you know, fuck knows how I thought I was actually going to build it. I think you realise that you are getting bigger. I mean, let's put it this way. We're not Apple. You know, Not in the High Street was a growing business. And it was growing hugely when I think of a few of us sitting in the first office space. But they gave me some advice that basically a friend of mine said, be worried when you meet someone that works for you and you don't know their name. Now, at the beginning, I thought, ridiculous, don't know their name. I can hardly afford to pay my sister and I know her name. But this is what happened to me. I remember I was in the kitchen um, in our offices in Richmond above Pizza Express and someone spoke to me and they knew who I was. They were talking to me about something and I had to just play along. And I remember walking out of the kitchen and speaking to my PA and asking her who that person was. Around that time, I knew that I needed to maybe get off the train And that is when I stepped away and stopped the day-to-day running to think about, I suppose, what next for Holly Tucker. And it's very, very bittersweet, this period of my life. You know, my business baby was old enough to fend for itself. And actually, it's something I'll never figure out, I suppose. And it's an incredibly bittersweet moment for so many reasons. 
But it was the start of a new adventure that I required. And that's what I got such a buzz out of building and developing and nurturing and picking the child off the floor and helping stabilise them while the kid was on the bike for the first time. You know, all these analogies you can use with your business. And I love that part of it. Okay, so along for this roller coaster, sometimes not by choice, was Frank and Harry. I've often wondered if Harry thinks about the things I do, as in my guilt for missing those sports days, not being that mum. Did he even actually remember? I've actually never <laughs> spoken to him about this. So um, let's hope it hasn't completely messed him up. And what was it like for Frank, who went on to leave his own job to care for Harry and support me building Not on the High Street? So I decided that now was the moment to welcome you into the very heart of my family as I discuss this with Frank and Harry at home, all together on the sofa. I'm sure Harry has got some chocolate probably belonging to me, hidden somewhere. He's smirking at the moment. That means a yes. So, Harry, I wanted to ask you, what are the earliest memories, I suppose, of me having my own business and not being that typical mum? Um, if I'm honest with you, the whole thing never really bothered me that you weren't here. It never really bothered me because I feel like if you look at it from a traditionalistic perspective that the dad would normally be away and the mum would normally be the stay-at-home mum... And I don't think that that ever bothered me, that the genders were, were switched. Yeah, I mean, I can only remember until about the age of 10 onwards that, you know, it was, it was my rugby matches and my sports days that I'd be going to with my dad. And I think that he had a big also part to play to, in the sense that he never made it weird. Not that it was weird, but he never made it, you know, weird that mum wasn't here uh, for a lot of my fixtures and stuff, which had its uh, benefits because I don't think my mum fully understood what rugby was. And you'd probably get... Right run on the pitch quite defensive yeah I don't think it ever really bothered me because I think I understood that it was just normal and that you know one parent had to work and for me that was just my mum that's interesting because a lot of things that we discuss in this community is about parental guilt but from your point of view you just thought well one parent normally works or two parents normally work so when you look back at this period of our life nearly 10 years ago Frank you weren't necessarily happy in your job. Yeah. So we put all the chips, I suppose, if we were betting yes. on not on the high street. What are your memories of that time? Because it was a seriously more turbulent time, wouldn't you say, that decade? It was a massive decision for me to make. Um, I'd been in my job for over, what was it, 22 years. So it was something that I really needed to give a lot of thought and consideration to. Well, I worked in counterterrorism, so it was a pretty serious job I had. But it was also, you know, it was really quite a stressful environment um, because, you know, you had you were making decisions that basically, you know, if you didn't get them right, it could have serious consequences. The trouble was the environment as well was also it was a very stressful sort of political place to work up at, up at the yard. So we had a couple of nannies that definitely weren't working at one in particular that wasn't really paying attention to Harry one day. Just as he started walking, he had literally just started toddling around. <laughs> And he was on top of the slide and she wasn't really looking at him and he fell off and broke his leg. Yeah, I think that uh, was a moment, coming up the Halloween. It? That so, was a sort of yeah, bit of sort a crunch of time for defining, us. It was a defining moment that basically, you know, you were trying to get the company up and running. I pretty much had my job up to the neck. So, you know, I took that decision to basically leave and to take on the, the mummy role. And, you know, I must admit, I found it really hard um, to adjust, you know, coming from 
you know, what was a very, very strange environment into another environment dealing with the playground mums, which uh, also involved a lot of my previous skills <laughs> working between the different groups of mums, which was uh, quite daunting to say the least. You were one of two dads in the whole playground. Yes, exactly. You know, so yeah. you, it was just a different time. After a while, I found it really interesting just observing, you know, how people interact and different groups of people interact. Um, but I must, you know, I have to admit that, you know, I did find it hard to adjust, but um, I've also found it like one of the most rewarding times of my life, you know, to look at Harry and to see how he has benefited from having me there because I feel sorry for a lot of the dads that weren't able to be there for their sons and had to provide for their families. So I, I was in a really privileged position to be able to do that for Harry. Yeah, he's turned out not too bad so far. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the honest truth is, isn't it? It's like, I think there's another book in that, which is the adjustment of roles, you know, when they do change. It's not for the faint-hearted, is it? It definitely rocked Mm. our (coughs) worlds. Mm. And um, that is just a really interesting topic, one for an entirely new podcast. I sort of remember also the playground, you know, having to fake phone calls when Mm -hmm. I'd pick you up, Harry. I don't know if you knew that. And as no one really Mm. spoke to me in the playground because Daddy did all the picking up Mm. and I had no friends in the playground. So I would just pretend to speak to people on the phone because I was so nervous to stand in the playground because I was the working woman Mm. and and no one really came up to me and and maybe me being on the phone made me totally unapproachable, but I didn't think like that at the time. You know, we do consume ourselves with guilt, Harry. I'm telling you now, forget just the sports things, but just when you don't think you're there enough, you're watching a bit too much TV because I'm working or those listening are working and the kids are downstairs and you're like, oh, I'm going to mess them up forever. What do you think as a 16-year-old? Um, yeah, yeah, big 16. Um, you know, the best I could probably say is just don't feel that guilt. I don't feel like there's a need for you to to feel that guilt. And, you know, I can understand that as a parent, you might just be completely overwhelmed with it. But I think, it's, you know, as your child gets older, they'll realise that, you know, you're providing and you're doing what you need to do. And then in a way, I feel like it's more special because the... The time that you have with them, which which might be a lot and might be a little, is just, you know, all, all the more precious. And saying this now, it's actually coming, you know, it's all making sense why my mum would nag me to get off the TV and to stop playing video games and to do stuff. And it, it, it's probably because she felt that she almost needed to be there for me. And then when she was there for me, she had to be there for me, if that makes any sense. But Yeah, um, I didn't want you to be on screen. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But do you also think that maybe you've realised... For all the times that you were little, little, and, you know, I was there for every bedtime, you know, that was a real Mm, key thing mm. that I might then go and work again when I came home, but I was always there for your bedtime. Do you now see that maybe it's sort of like a lifestyle, isn't it, in our house, my job? It's not like I'm an insurance broker, do you know what I mean? And I go and do this and I come home and you just say, hey, mum, hey, and that's it. Like, it's our lives. Yeah, so I think I've grown a lot more accustomed to the fact that your job is quite interactive and social. And you saying that is sort of like, it's sort of obvious to me. It just shows how much it is intertwined in our lives that Holly and Co and the thing that you do is just, it's almost like a given. It's almost like, I, I I don't feel like I separate it from... Life from work life and home life, which is always something that you say is what we should combine. My my friends don't exactly have parents that that will that have such creative jobs. You know, some of them are bankers and stuff. And I feel like there's not that much connection between children and parents. And I feel like it's harder to connect. Whereas at least I can ask you now, and you know how your day was, and you can tell me. And I'm always up to date. And yeah, you know, I can go to the shop, and I'm always sort of in in the. You could listen to the on. podcast. Can listen to the podcast. It's yeah, the hundredth one I haven't listened to. It is, yeah. But um, having the job that you do, it's it's almost like a part of our life, and I don't really see it 
than it is anything. It's, it's alien to me to think of it as, as something that would be separate, which I feel like is what you should sort of strive for, is that your job is a part of your life. And so actually, for those listening, there's a 16-year-old who I thought I would absolutely mess up. I, you know, I, was, <laughs> I cried on Sophie's shoulders when Frank told me that you'd walked and I'd missed it. And I honestly thought, because I'd wanted you for all my life, you know, Harry, I've wanted you since forever. Mm. And so to miss those fundamental stages, I really thought potentially this was going to be terrible for you. But now you're 16 and you're telling me, actually, I love our lives because your job is in our lives. You know, and Mm -hmm. I think that that's something I hope will give comfort to those listening who might be on that journey. And before you both go to play your crazy Star Wars VR game, which is just mental and the dogs don't know what's happening. Frank, you said such beautiful things at our wedding Mm -hmm. about how you saw what I'd done for (coughs) other women. And I won't make you read the speech out. Don't you worry. No, thank you. (laughs) Tell me your thoughts here and where you think women have come, because actually, you know, you've been a feminist always brought up by a strong Irish woman. Well, I'm Irish. Can you not tell? I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, not anymore. No, the speech at a wedding. Um, I think I might have had a rum too many that time. Don't be quiet. <laughs> no, just joking. Um, you know, we've had our ups and downs, the same as any other couple, and I suppose what you call a roller coaster. You know, I remember the early days of going up and down Chiswick High Road with our balloons for the local fair at four o'clock in the morning. We tried um, to put them in the Peugeot and they wouldn't fit, so yep. you would have to walk That's and right. then the wind yeah, would take myself them. Myself and Carrie struggling with balloons. You know, I honestly did mean what I said about you at the wedding, about you being the most inspirational person I've ever met. Mm. You just seem to get people, their fears about failing, their aspirations, their hopes and dreams for the future. I don't know, you're somehow able to tap into their sort of inner core. As I said at the wedding, it really sets you apart from what other people really call, you know, normality, I suppose, for want of a better word. Um, You know, I hate that glass ceiling term, but it's... You know, it really does inspire people what you do and how you approach life. And there's been times when we've been out in our early morning walks along the river with the dogs. And, you know, we literally have these, mainly women, but sometimes men, will, you know, literally go, uh, excuse me, mm. is that is that Holly? And then they'll relate a story of just how they were at their wits end trying mm. to get a business going and they listen to the podcast or listen to you speaking somewhere. And it's inspired them to keep going. So that's just incredible for the amount of probably thousands of people that you've touched indirectly, mm. you know, through just being Holly Tucker. Oh. It's pretty special, really. I mean, that's, it sounds like I knew what you were going to say. This is <laughs> awful. But it's so lovely well, of you true. to say. Yeah. You know, it's what, one of the things I've loved about this podcast is it's made me really reflect on some things. And like, I had never asked you about being not mm. a sports day mum yeah. and, and you, Frank, about that mm. our time when we, you know, started, when Not in the High Street started, mm. and now today when we're a married couple and your lovely speech, and it's just been such a special thing to do. What do you think is the common denominator between all these small businesses that you've heard about over the last 20 years that I bring home? Small businesses are undoubtedly the future, but look at the amount of money for starters to even bring into the economy and, and, you know, people fulfilling their dreams. But the one common thing I see with these small businesses at the outset, I suppose it's a bit of a strange word to say, but fear that people have such fear of actually starting the business in the first place. They see all these things in front of them. I, I was the same. I'm fearful of starting a small business. I don't think I could ever really do it. But 
that's the one thing people seem to be able to get over their fear with a bit of encouragement and having this amazing small community around them of small businesses. It helps them overcome that fear. Bizarrely, that's the common denominator that I see. It's fear. It's fear. The, a fear of the unknown, I suppose. And ju- people judging them. Yeah, it's a very human trait, isn't it? We, we all hate being judged. We don't like being judged. Well, what a lovely time this has been. Well, thank you, guys. I, and feel, I, I feel like someone should burst in and say, Holly Tucker, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. Right. Off right. to go and eat chocolate. I'm off to do some cleaning. <laughs> Hi Holly, my name is Louise Petley and I run several businesses. My question is, we all have those days where we feel like we've taken on too much work and no matter how hard you go for it, you feel like you're going 10 steps backwards rather than forwards. In those times, what has made you dig deep and push forward and carry on? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it goes back to that idea of responsibility. I feel I take on responsibility for my family. I'm the breadwinner in my household, responsibility for this community. When I can see talent, I'm frustrated if it doesn't go all the way and how can I help that person realise their dream? So that's what makes me really dig deep. I remember burning through the days, you know, giving 120% even when I felt like I couldn't. And I know that it made me unhealthy and I know that I didn't give it's my best either. And it's recognising that. I now try and plan around, I suppose, my life events, my body. And I just know that, you know, out of the 30 days in a month, I will no doubt do 40 days worth of work, if you see what I mean, but crammed into 25 days. I don't know why I'm making this complicated, but it's a way of almost taking the pressure off yourself. And it's what I've had to do, certainly, because responsibility, it's something that can be most gloriously like a furnace and burn and keep you driving forward. But it can also really deplete you. The worry, what you feel, the weight is on your shoulders, the sleepless nights, and actually having a knowledge that from your track record, you know that in this month, if you take it as a collective, you will do awesome things. It's just today isn't your day. That has been a really great way of thinking about my world at the moment. And it also allows me to potentially have those milestone moments, smell the roses more, because I didn't do that at Not On The High Street. And it's something I'm having to discipline myself in doing at Holly & Co. And if, you know, I'm leading and I'm mentoring my team, they need to see me do it. They need to actually feel it's genuine that... I am soaking up the gloriousness that is the new adventure of Holly & Co. And lots of tea. That's another thing that pushes me forward. So much tea, it's actually incredible. So, to my next question, Alice. Hi, Holly. I'm Alice. My business is called Authentic House. My question for you is, what is your diamond... And how did you come to discover it and embrace it? The diamond conversation. Well, how am I going to answer this? Okay, so I think that it was when I came out of the day-to-day of Not in the High Street. You know, I wasn't in my 20s. I was now in my 30s. I was a mum. I had responsibilities. Truth be told, I hit 
absolute rock bottom. And I was on the floor metaphorically and physically sometimes. And it forced me to listen to others. You see, the thing is about me is that normally I'm the one who tries to come up with the answers. I'm quite male like that. I like to problem solve. You can't really put a problem in front of me that I don't think I can solve because my whole brain is wired to optimism and solution and hope. And so really you can tell me anything and I will just look at it as a really difficult maths question. Maths not being my number one subject, but actually solutions and problem solving being my number one subject. So my sort of side hustle, I suppose, in this dark period of my life was helping others. And I didn't think anything of it. But Carrie and Gabby, basically, they saw that this is what I loved doing. That basically, I think, became the first seed of the next adventure. I think that's basically when my diamond was found. It's not just finding the diamond. I want to then encourage and nurture the shine and make it as sparkly as possible. And that makes me as sparkly as possible. I think my strength and drive has come from lifting other people up. And it always has been. It's why I think that my next calling, Holly & Co, has just been the most perfect fit because Not On The High Street was absolutely perfect fit at the time. Your local fair was a perfect fit. But this is almost the combination of all of my experience. It's the shoes that absolutely are just the most comfortable shoes that I could walk in. I didn't know exactly what it was when we began. You know, that was the other thing. It was just a light. It was a light force, I suppose, a burning star in my hands. It was this bright thing that I possessed. The idea of Holly & Co., the first few years of Holly & Co., it wasn't perfectly formed. But I knew that there was so much still to come. I knew that the business was based on evoking feelings in others. And I think that that's what we're doing. year, together with our friends at Three, we're working to make business dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using the hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer and who knows what will happen. Three understands it's been a tough time for businesses, so they're offering their business price promise. A promise that if you find a better deal, they'll beat it. Not only that, I love that they offer up to £500 of benefits from specialist partners to help your business thrive. Head to 3.co.uk forward slash terms for terms and conditions. Now, here's a short story about those that dreamed big and flew. This week, I'm sharing the Queen. Meeting her was a defining moment in my life when I received my MBE at Windsor Castle with Frank, Harry and my sister. And I actually don't think I have ever consciously stopped and smelled the roses up until that point, until I was queuing to receive my honour. And it was then that I thought, and I really clearly remember it, I remember thinking, I actually think I might have done something. (laughs) So this week, I'm sharing the Queen. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was born in London in April 1926. And through a twist of fate and the abdication of her uncle, Elizabeth became heir to the throne before becoming Queen at the young age of 27. 
Her coronation in June 1953 was the first to be publicly televised and was watched by over 27 million people in the UK and millions more across the globe. As the longest reigning monarch in British history, the longest serving female head of state in the world history, the Queen sees public and voluntary service as one of the most important elements of her work and is royal patron to over 600 charities, military associations, public bodies and professional service organisations. Speaking on leadership, the Queen once said, I know of no single formula for success. But over the years, I have observed that some attributes of leadership are universal and are often about finding ways of encouraging people to combine their efforts, their talents, their insights, their enthusiasm and their imagination to work together. Don't forget to share your own business dreams on social using the hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer. And to find out more about their business plans, search Three Means Business. Now, back to Conversations of Inspiration. Hi, Holly, it's Gabby here. Gosh, I miss you. Counting down the days when we can all be in a room together with a cup of tea plotting our future business ideas and discussing our favourite small businesses. I remember when we first met, actually, and um, I was so blown away by you. I know you'll cringe at this and you always tell me off for saying it, but I used to call you my Oprah, um, my Oprah, because you changed my life in so many ways, but I know you've changed thousands of other people's lives through Notton High Street and the business advice you give so many every day. But those early days when you gave me that job at Noths and my dream job and we used to chat and I remember thinking, gosh, this lady is insanely creative. It was so exciting. And I think, you know, even though I was quite scared of you at first when I first worked for you, but then um, that soon went and we started discussing products and businesses and why the world had to be a certain way. I think one of our first conversations that really stuck with me was all about umbrellas and why umbrellas had to be a certain way. Like, you know, they were always just plain black. You couldn't get a creative umbrella. And you just, I used to commute into London and think, why has everyone got a black umbrella when you could be bringing colour to grey on a really gloomy day? But you've really been by my side through some really low moments of my life. And I think I've been by your side through yours. And... You know, over the last few years, it's been so inspiring to see, you know, your creativity restored and your happiness. I think when we first met, I used to see you whiz around the office at a million miles an hour and we used to work such crazy long days and, you know, you wouldn't even get a chance to go to the loo before you'd be in another meeting. And now we get to spend time thinking about what kind of business we want to be and how we want to change the world for the better and how we can change other people's lives and help them do what they love to do for a living and how lucky we feel because that's what it's all about, really. And I think seeing you be fully creative again has just been a real privilege to see. I think there was a real moment when you were making vegetable rings, I think, again in the garden. Then you showed me how to make one and I was so blown away and it was one of my favourite memories together. You know, and then we started dreaming up this happy cafe where coffee would be served in a less ordinary way and everything would be inspirational and it would be super Instagrammable. And I think then Instagram came about and I was obsessed with hashtags and Instagram and the community that you could build and interact with. And then 
Holly and Co was dreamed up and it was four years ago when we launched. Doesn't actually seem a long time ago, but it, it feels like a long time too. But it's amazing to see you so happy and so creative because that's exactly what the world needs you to be. So yeah, my question to you, because I don't think I've ever asked you this question, is what role has creativity played in your life and where has this creativity come from? I'd love to hear your thoughts on what makes you so creative. Firstly, I just love Gabby so much and I always cringe. Oh my gosh, the things that Gabby can say and just for anyone who would think that I would believe these things, well, I don't, but Gabby keeps telling me, has done for about six years, these same things. And so that's why she's just so special and um, probably was the tonic that got me up off the floor along with my sister Carrie. But I suppose creativity is what's brought me home and I think this whole community feels exactly the same. It's a golden thread. It's what I reflect back as now the thing that has connected the dots, you know, listening to mum and how she spoke. I think I didn't actually realise, if I'm honest with you, until this podcast, how much that that is maybe what's run through my whole life. Each time I hit a low, I suppose, and I've spoken about it quite openly in this podcast, it has saved me from you know, that young girl who got married and basically had sort of a breakdown. My wreaths saved me. Building not on the high street saved me before finding, you know, a future beyond my first business baby. And I think, you know, hitting that low after leaving not on the high street six years ago, navigating that sort of stepping back from something that all I'd known was it in my life. I mean, I was it and I didn't have an identity outside of it. I automatically turned to creativity to heal me. And it, along with dear Gabby and her wonderful words and my sister and Frank, Harry, my parents, you know, pulled me back together again. So this golden thread has to be creativity. So of course, Holly & Co had to be about the creative community, the small business community, that it is almost that the good life is for people who allow themselves to creatively flourish. That's what I have creativity to thank. It's led me to a life that now I lead it in a certain way. It's made me in touch with what I call this good life. Um, it's allowed me to have the courage to reimagine business. It's made me have to put, I suppose, measures in place. I mean, I've never thought of this, but you know, recently I've learned about this thing called the unnegotiables and that has actually changed my life. Thank you, Kate, for bringing that to my life because I realised that actually to be creative, to be that person, to have that as your fuel, you've got to actually protect the source of the energy that gets you to that point. And that means having unnegotiables, having the protect the life force that is you so that you can go and explore creatively. And so that for me is, you know, my morning walks, socialising with people, my home, my family time, buying jewellery. I had to put that in there. Frank will laugh when he hears that. You know, I'm not into yoga. I'm not into meditation. I'm not into all of these things. And I've always sort of thought that's for other people. But I've sort of found my own meditation and yoga in a sense. If that's what you do to preserve your energy, I've found that. And actually, I'm really happy because 
it makes sense to me now. If that means that I get to enjoy every moment of my golden thread. There was such a variety of questions that came in from the community. And actually, it's been a very humbling experience to know that so many people are so keen to know more about my journey. It is, on the other hand, rather odd sitting on the other side of things. Having interviewed 99 founders, I found myself becoming more and more comfortable with hosting and being the one to ask the questions. It genuinely, I suppose, is one of the greatest privileges that Holly and Co has given me this podcast and I have to say I think I'm in my most happiest space when I'm speaking to fellow founders so I hand to Yoko Global for a question that I hoped would be asked. Hi Holly we are Yoko Global a positive parenting platform and we'd like to know how have the previous 99 episodes changed your view of the world? Fundamentally changed everything for me it has been the Single biggest shift, I would say, in the way that I think in my adult life. I mean, how could it not have had that effect, I suppose, now I think about it? Because it really made me realise that 100% of the brands that I love, they've all had these most turbulent roller coaster rides to get to where they've got to. So on my shit days, which there are many, like us all, running businesses, I really do have this now backdrop of the most jaw-dropping experiences from those that I admire and know that it is not personally me that is making these things happen. Oh, well, I suppose unless it is actually me making this shit thing happen. This is part of the ride that I have chosen. This is what running a business is like, building a brand, Not one person that I admire has been saved from that journey. And so that will be, it is set in stone, that will be the journey that I have. So I just need to toughen up. I need to grow a pair and just keep on trucking in those days. And I think that that has been one of the greatest lessons from this podcast is that this is the ride that I'm on and it will be this way. It's as if the business becomes like a family member. It's something that you can lean on when times are tough. And I've understood also how much energy and passion account for so much. If you don't believe in yourself, well, you're not going to be able to carry the rest of your responsibilities. And then I suppose that's all quite deep. But then there was all these funny moments, you know, when I nearly put on protective footwear, when I was being invited with Edward Perry from Cook to go around the beautiful kitchens. And I nearly put the foot covering on my head because I'd never worn a hairnet and foot coverings. And then to go around the kitchens and talk to those who were preparing the food and they'd been working there for years and there was so much happiness and culture. Uh, You know, every single one of these experiences has changed me. And, you know, then there was Jacqueline Gold and her gumption, the word from the wonderful holiday, one of my favourite films, which is absolutely kills everybody that that is my favourite film. And what about Sir Tim Smith? If I even talk about him, this podcast is going to be about 10 hours long. But it was one of those single moments in my life where he changed who I was, you know, four years into Holly & Co. And he grounded me. My God, I got pushed down in a brilliant way. How could I feel that I was 
anywhere when I spoke to him. And sometimes that's what you need. You need people to restart your battery. And that's what he did. So yeah, 99 episodes it has taken to absolutely change my entire perspective and enjoyment in life. And I'll be forever grateful to the amazing guests that have been on this podcast. As many of you will know, I am absolutely a passionate advocate for visualization and believing in this business journey. And I'm always thinking and looking ahead to see what is on the horizon and how can I change the world, I suppose. So this brings me on to my next question. Hi, Holly, it's Sophie from Flags and Bluebells. You've been so successful in your career so far. Where do you see yourself in five years? What about 55 years? I mean, this is the glorious thing about my business. And I hope for all good life businesses out there, you sort of no, it's never going to end. I often have to ask the team what year it is, or I get very muddled with my years because I'm slightly five years ahead of myself. But my hope and the plan is that I'm going to be cheerleading until I'm 90. I don't know the specifics, but I know that I want to take the Holly & Co magic to everything that this community interacts with, from what we watch, what we read, visit, buy, taste, join, book, listen to, and the list goes on. That's the thing that truly interests me. How do you build a multi-sensory, multi-hyphenated, multi-medium business? This is what I think the future is going to be. I'm not going to give up until that happens. That's what I think that the future will be about, about brands and business that you know is a business, but you love it like it's a friend. And I also want to make material change, I suppose, and shifts in the four core areas of Holly & Co. And I have to remind myself that I have just under 50 years. So there is time for me to do this. I want to help people build a business that they love, and I want them to own a good life business. I want to help customers really feel powerful, that they can vote with their money and vote for small, because small normally is always better. To help women start and say, you know, fuck it, let's just do this. And then I'm desperately trying to work out right now, but I know it will come, how to help the next generation understand that they have a diamond and that entrepreneurism, if can I say that word, is an exciting path to follow, becoming their own boss, their own brand, monetizing their diamond. You know, monetizing their diamond, I think, is what the future of our young will be. And yet we don't talk about this. Please let me have a healthy life that I get to live out these dreams because I've had a complete blast. I've had lifetimes worth of amazingness so far But I just know that the best is yet to come. And so I'm really excited about not just five years, but yeah, 55 years. As we come towards the end of the podcast, I was working with Harriet to decide which questions would be the final ones that I could answer. And Harriet was adamant that this next question from Natalie of Bespoke Binny had to be one of them. It is not a small question by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, 
it perhaps might be the holy grail of all questions, so to speak. So on that note, I'm going to hand over to Natalie. Hi, Holly. My name's Natalie and I run a company called Bespoke Binny. If you could distill all of your journey in one life lesson, what would it be? <laughs> what a question this is. Oh, I'm feeling quite a bit of pressure to answer it. So I really thought about it. And I guess in the end, it would be the way that my energy and soul propels me, changes me, develops me, makes me listen more, develops my empathy and intuition, that I can rest assured that I am more than enough and that the universe has my back and wants me to be the most colourful version of myself. I think that's what I would distill this whole journey down to because it must have my back. I must do something in me, in my soul, that works for the universe because the universe has been giving me all these opportunities I spoke about that were queuing. It's given me my family, it's given me my personality, my joy, my being. And so I have to say that I now know that I am enough. I'm more than enough. And that's what this journey has given me. Hi, Holly. It's Veronica from Nourish Kitchen by V. I wanted to ask you a question. And the question is, what was your proudest moment in business? And what is your biggest business low? This is such a funny experience because this is the end normally of the podcast where I slightly take my glasses off because I don't have to read anything and I know this part um, and I talk about the roller coaster and I always try and picture what their roller coaster cart would look like. And I suppose, you know, my cart would be maybe Ash from Brilliant Signs would have done the letter work and Amy Swan would have painted boho painting all over it and I'd be wearing a Fumbelina headdress but I know that the start my question is about the lowest point of that roller coaster so I suppose my beautiful colourful cart would be entering the tunnel of doom and I have to say it's not a business thing actually you know I've lost a lot of dear friends along the way I became maybe too much for them Potentially people thought I was a workaholic, an element of jealousy. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but something happened. Time had passed and not enough had been done to nurture the relationship. And I regret that. I regret in the early years of Notton High Street where it was basically life and death every single day. And I had this tiny baby, Harry, and I was working so much and I wasn't necessarily always able to be there for people who were very close to me and I was basically breaking in all ways and I couldn't take any more or give any more and it must have felt like to them that I didn't love them those that I love now know who they are I'm more aware of what I need to do and my faults and my pitfalls and but I think that everyone that is very close to me now has been for so long that I don't think I'll lose them. I really hope I don't. I think they know me and love me, but that is the greatest low. And I regret it, but these things do happen. And I've heard from other founders that that does happen, but um, it's still very painful. 
And conversely, with the wind in my hair, holding onto the birds clipped into my headdress whilst I'm on this roller coaster. And I'm, I hate roller coasters and I've got a fear of heights. So I wouldn't be so happy at the highest point of this roller coaster. I think it has to be something quite recent. I don't know if I have experienced anything like it, was launching the Independent Awards and giving away £100,000. I know that Not in the High Street has changed a lot of people's lives. I know that there have been awards and all these wonderful things along the journey, but there was something about coming out of this first year of the pandemic, launching these awards, the energy that the community showed, the participation of everybody, 300,000 nominations on that Instagram post. How was that? And then fast forward to the night that, you know, we were doing the Instagram live and we had all these amazing families and the children were involved and they were so proud of their parents. And I was giving away not only the love that we were all showing them, but this prize that I know will be life-changing in their businesses. And that was one heck of a moment. I was so thrilled, so proud. I'm so proud of what we have built and how fast my team move when we see something that has to happen and we go for it and we pulled this off and it was just a moment I will never forget. Me squealing and confetti coming down and the wonderful winners hugging their families. And that is it. That's me in a nutshell. That was my greatest high so far. So now it's that time and I'm feeling incredibly nervous about this. It has been an utter privilege to hear 99 other letters to sell firsthand. But when it's yourself actually doing the writing, it's a little bit more difficult. So here it goes. A letter to my teenage self. Dearest Holly, I have been asked by you actually to write a letter to your younger self. You know, it's been coming for some time and for some reason you've felt quite all over the place about what to say. Not because I think you will ignore the advice, even though headstrong, I know even a sniff of being able to move you faster in the right direction, you'll grab the chance if you think you can get a head start. But I'm not going to give you the winning lottery numbers or a secret to greatness or anything like that. But what I will tell you, believe me, will make you far richer in so many ways. You see, because I am you, this is the first time anyone will talk to you about your total lack of self-love. I know no one knows this and no one sort of ever will. Your secret is safe with me. But I, your future self, I have to tell you something. Are you listening to me? You need to hear this, my darling girl. You are enough. Don't shake your head. Don't cry. You're safe with me. But it's true. Why do you feel you are so invisible? Why do you know you sort of should be, that you deserve to be? I know everyone on the outside sees this happy-go-lucky teen. But let's face it. Those thoughts before you fall asleep are not great. 
the pressure you put yourself under, feeling you're so not pretty, so not clever, so not worthy, they make you feel so very sad. You cry yourself to sleep over those who you're picking to be in your life, who just make you feel even worse about yourself. You do not deserve this, my sweet Holly. Now I want you to imagine you and I right now. I am kneeling in front of you and you in front of me. I am cupping your beautiful face with both my hands. I am stroking your cheek with my thumb, catching your tears. Are you listening? Holly, my sweet soul, you are one of the loveliest human beings I know. I know how much you care about what everyone thinks about you. But I promise you, and remember I know, they all love you. They are not thinking any of those terrible things. Holly, my darling, you are so beautiful. And anything that you think now, know you will look back at yourself and almost see sunbeams coming out of every picture. You light up all the memories we have. Your lovely smile, your lovely eyes, they will take you everywhere. Holly, you are perfectly smart and better still, guess what? You are far from average. You know why? You were born with a superpower, yes you. Your sensitivity that some tease you about and make you feel so weak for having, well it's the strength that will have the most astounding effect on your life. Your sensitivity, your emotional intelligence, your empathy, your love of people and their feelings, it is the greatest gift. I will not tell you what happens, but just know that the little notebook you have of ideas about businesses, well, let's just say that one day your wish comes true and it's all down to being extraordinary. I'm now stroking your hair and allowing you to nestle under my arm as I lean my head on yours, squeezing you so tightly as I kiss your head. Dear Holly, you are nothing like anything you think, and these thoughts, far from protecting you or protecting you from the hurt you think you will experience for some reason, they will bring you nothing useful. You will settle into a relationship that you hold on to, even though terrible for you, because you do not feel worthy. You think you better accept it all because no one will ever want you. You are lucky that someone does. You put up with all this pain because you have convinced yourself that you should have nothing better. You will get yourself into a total pickle, as Granny would say. You will disrespect yourself because you think that life is against you. So I wanted to use this time to tell you that the one thing you need to do for me is to love yourself. Start to retrain that wonderful brain right now as you have no time to lose. Remember what we're like in such a hurry. So time is of the essence. I need you to take this letter with you always. Fold it up and put it in your inside blazer pocket with your copper gloss lipstick. I want you to promise me that you will read it every day. I love you, dear Holly. I love you very, very much. And I promise you that others love you too. I am now 43 years old and you actually feel you could burst. You feel so much love. 
I'm now lifting you up, holding your shoulders, and I'm looking into your eyes. Look at me. Lift your head, my darling girl. Take a deep breath. Take my advice and just know that everything you dream of will come true. Why? Because amazing things happen to wonderful people. And that's you, my dearest Holly. Now off you go. Walk strong and walk proud. Know I love you very, very much. And you are so much, much more than enough. Love me. P.S. You know your best friend, Amy, who you walk around the school field with every single lunchtime? The girl you spend two hours on the phone with every night? Well, guess what? You just walked around another field today with her and her two wonderful children just before writing this letter. 30 years on and she's still your best friend. She has been your constant in your life, been through the whole lot with you. She goes nowhere and you don't lose her. You see, what did I tell you? Good things happen, Holly, to good people. I mean, I really thought <laughs> my own letter, maybe I wouldn't cry at the end, but there you go. It was so important to really share my soul with you today in a way that only I could with you, my dearest community, the wind beneath my wings. Without you, this journey just wouldn't exist. I will be forever privileged to share in your colour and creativity, and it is my honour to be on this journey with you all. All my love. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown Before you go, if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. With thanks to NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 